Hi, I'm Krista, and I'm a marijuana addict. Um, my clean and sober date is March 17, 2004. My home group is Waking Not Baking on Saturday mornings. Um, I have a sponsor, and I sponsor others. Um, when I was 14 was the time that I first tried marijuana, and it worked right away. It stopped the whirlwind of worries and anxious thoughts in my head, quieted them right down. Suddenly, I was part of a group and had a sense of belonging. I was one of the cool kids for the first time in my life. It put me in touch with the peace and love hippies of the 60s that I looked up to as a child. I felt more spiritual. My creativity was enhanced. And soon it had a hold on me. I wanted it more and more. Um, back before I tried it, I had learned in school about Maslow's self-actualization. He was a psychiatrist. And um, he had developed this hierarchy of needs or Maslow's pyramid. And basically what that is about is, um, is at the bottom of the pyramid are your basic needs, um, food, clothing, and shelter. And you have to um, achieve your basic needs before you can move on and, um, and strive for um, higher needs like health and employment. And um, and next on the pyramid is friendships, family, and love. And then um, further up the pyramid is esteem and status. And then finally at the top of the pyramid is integration, self-actualization, and you're being the most you can be in all aspects of your life. I learned about this, and I was like, that's what I want. I want to be self-actualized. I made that my goal. But then I, I discovered marijuana. And by the time I was 21, my goal was to get stoned every day, and I had forgotten all about Maslow and self-actualization. Um, it didn't occur to me until about two years clean that I, that I had done this, that I had forgotten about this and changed my goal from, you know, something um, very, um, very cool in life to um, something really kind of gross um but that's what i did <clears throat> i should have quit when things came to a head shortly after that pronouncement that I, I just wanted to get high every day and i broke up with my college boyfriend i couldn't stay with him if he kept using drugs and alcohol um because his addiction had had taken him so far and um he offered to quit but i still couldn't stay with him I had burned that bridge and I was done with the relationship. Mostly it got in the way of my buzz. But what might have happened if I'd taken him up on his offer and quit along with him? How different might my life have been, I wonder? Though I knew he couldn't quit for me, he has to quit for himself. He ended up some years later getting murdered as a result of his addiction, but that's his story. That, but if I'd stayed with him, maybe I'd have been murdered along with him. You don't know. Um, I should have quit when I found myself without weed one day, waiting for my dealer to call. This was still when, before it was legal. And um, I was playing frisbee golf on a beautiful spring day, which was something I really loved to do. But I didn't love it as much as smoking weed. Um, Instead of enjoying the beautiful warm day and playing frisbee golf, I ended up 
on the ground, hitting the earth, and ugly crying like a kid having a temper tantrum, all because I didn't have my marijuana. I had gone from peace and love to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. My spirituality was dulled. My creativity was only there for me if I was out of weed. That was the only time I could write fiction, which was my earnest hobby. I didn't have a career, but went from job to job, jerking those that might call for a drug test. Um, Again, marijuana was still illegal and drug tests were prevalent, so it was a fair concern. Um, I pulled a geographic and moved from Detroit to Seattle in hopes of making things better for myself. I am very happy here, um, but I brought myself and my depression and my addiction with me. It wasn't a cure-all for all my problems. It's prettier, though. (laughs) Um, Slowly, my world shrank with marijuana till in the end, it was me, my pipe, the couch, and TV. Um, Back when I was 30-something, I came down with mono, which turned into chronic fatigue syndrome. It just didn't go away, Um, even though the mono was gone from my system. um, I was still sick and tired and had to sleep 12 hours a day or more. And I had to quit my job eventually. I went on leave for a while. Um, but after about a month of that, I tried to go back to work. And um, just getting ready and commuting to the store where I worked wore me out so much that I had to turn around and go home again. And so eventually I had to just quit that job. But I kept smoking weed. Um, I stopped going out for fun. I stopped going anywhere. I just stayed home and smoked dope all day. And still I didn't stop. I knew I was an addict. I knew I had a problem. And I lived in a privately defined world as the 12 questions asks us about. But I was afraid of what I would be without it. Where would any joy come from in my life? Who would I be? Um, The thoughts terrified me and kept me smoking for many, many years, for, well, four decades. I took breaks. Um, I tried to moderate for many years and gave up on that so I could enjoy myself and just smoke. Um, In moderation, I tried to um, hide it from myself. I tried to have it hidden from me. Um, I tried taking it off site. I tried getting a lockbox, but I broke into that. Um, I would play games with the, of hide-and-seek with it when it was hidden from me. And um, it, was, it was just, it was, I tried breaking it up into little, little bitty um, smokable bundles so that I wouldn't have it all at once. And nothing worked. I just, I couldn't leave it alone if I had it. And if I didn't have it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. The obsession and compulsion had me enthralled. Um, And so I I gave up on moderation. And I would get a bag and smoke it all up. And then I would go through withdrawals and go without for another week or so till the next payday when I could buy another bag. It was a cycle of mental illness I don't recommend. I still had friends who smoked dope, 
we would meet at various places and find excuses to party together. A dope-smoking neighbor and I went to the Lord of the Rings movies together. But when I had weed, which was at least half the time, I was inside protecting my bag from others who might smoke it instead of me. I was selfish with it, very selfish. And still I didn't stop. It took a moment of clarity. Um, I hit bottom at Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Um, There's a picture of me standing under the lamppost on Bourbon Street, crying under my mask. You can't see me crying because the mask is there instead. And um, I realized as I was crying under my mask and not knowing that I was getting my picture taken, that, um, that this was a metaphor for my life. This wasn't just me right now crying. I was fried. I was burnt out. I was hungover. I was coming down with a terrible cold. I had stayed up too late and too many nights and um, and just partied too hard with my friends. And I had blisters on my feet. It, it was a mess. And I ended up going back to my room and crying myself to sleep and while my friends partied on um, without me. And it was after I got home and rested up from that bottom I was racking my brain trying to think of how to avoid another incident like that because it was horrible. Um, And I never wanted to go through that again. And how I could keep traveling because it seemed like every time I traveled, I got sick. And no wonder, because I was overdoing it because I I didn't have any limits. And I, I was trying to figure out how to quit smoking cigarettes and make that stick because I tried quitting cigarettes and I would make it for a couple of weeks, and then the cravings would get to me so bad, I would, then I would smoke some weed, and I would give in to the craving and have a cigarette, and that would set me off again, and I'd be smoking those cigs along with the weed. And so I was racking my brain, um, you know, what, what to do and how to do this, and a light might as well have, have come on over my head. I had this moment of clarity that was so bright. And I realized that nothing would happen until I quit smoking weed first. And I panicked at the thought, how how was I going to quit? What's going to happen? Can I do it or would I fail? Would I hate myself clean? Um, It was a leap of faith. One of the many jobs that I had over the years, um, because I went from job to job, was aftercare survey calls at a drug and alcohol rehab center, um, ironically enough. And, but I knew from the people that I worked with there, uh, many of whom were in recovery, that this recovery program worked and that I knew what the steps were. Um, and I didn't want to white knuckle it. I had heard about that, white knuckling it is when you try to quit without support. Um, so after I decided I had to quit, I ran to a meeting. Um, I also quit alcohol because I was afraid that if I had a drink, it would lower my inhibitions enough that I would give in to the craving for marijuana because marijuana is what I really wanted because alcohol was always a stand-in for pot. It was always a substitute. And... Um, 
And I, I just knew I had to quit them together. And so the meeting that I ran to was with another fellowship because I didn't know about NA yet. I got gently nudged toward a sponsor at that first meeting, and I called her the next day and said, what do I do? Um, she made several suggestions about what to do, including doing 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, I argued with her. <laughs> I had in mind maybe two meetings a week, and I thought that would be good. And um, and she said, well, you're a big girl, but these are my suggestions. And she emphasized the word suggestion. <laughs> and, um, and so I thought about it, and I looked up meetings, and I got out my map, and I mapped them out. Um, this was before COVID, when there were um, lots of land meetings. Um, and I strove to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And that was so good for my early recovery. It was something to do. It was sanctuary from weed. Um, the people and the fellowship and the phone numbers I got out of it um, kept me feeling like, gave me a sense of belonging, um, got me out of the house. I started doing service work, gave me a sense of accomplishment. Um, on top of that, I met with my sponsor once a week and started working the steps. I told her I was afraid of step nine, which is making amends. Um, uh, one of my character defects is pride. And I, I, was, I didn't know the difference between humility and humiliation. And I thought that um, making amends would be humiliating myself in front of people, um, and, which I was wrong about. Um, instead, it's about becoming humble, which is a different, a more, it's a spiritual experience. It's not humiliating at all. Um, anyway, I learned about MA and started going there. The first MA meeting I went to, I felt at home right away. These were my people. Um, and that was the, the first time I'd felt at home since the first time that I smoked weed when I felt at home. <laughs> um, and so I was with my people again, hippies, stoners, spiritual seekers, peace and love promoters. Um, and we'd sit in a circle and pass the shares around rather than the pipe, joint, or bong. Um, I loved MA. I still love MA. Um, my sponsor pushed me to healthy living, to get up and get out before noon, for instance to take part in fellowship opportunities. Um, there were picnics, campouts, dances, birthday parties, workshops, conferences, and conventions, um, even to help make some of those things happen. I, she had me do um, service work to get some of those things going. I had several sister sponsees who we would meet with my, our sponsor once a week um, for our book and step studies. And so there was a, just a ton of fellowship in my early recovery. It gave me um, a really great base, and I highly recommend um, getting a sponsor and doing the steps and getting phone numbers, lots of fellowship. My sponsor was right about so many things. When I got to step nine, I was ready for step nine, which she told me about when I told her I was afraid of it. Step nine was still challenging, 
but I learned that humility and humiliation are two different things. I didn't have to humiliate myself to make amends. I came to the exercise with humility and shared my apologies and questions of making it up. They weren't all taken well, um, but that wasn't the point. The point was that I made the amends and cleaned up my side of the street, as they say. Step four, the inventory, was also a challenge. It took me a couple of months of sitting in it and working on it for an hour or so, then jumping back to process the emotions that came up. Um, and then I would sit in it for a while, another week or so, and then I would need to get, get it out, and I would work on it for an hour or so, and then I'd jump back and process those emotions. Um, and that went on for a couple of months until I was finally done with my lists. Um, sharing it, doing step five with my sponsor was freeing. After I read the whole thing um, through in one sitting, <laughs> it, was, it was grueling. It was really heady. I was exhausted after. I couldn't do anything else that day. Um, after I, I read through the, my list, we burned it in my fireplace. Um, it was kind of a metaphor for letting go of the resentments and regrets of my life. Some people keep their inventory to refer back to in steps six to nine, but um, I burned mine. And it felt good. It felt right. Step 11 is my favorite, prayer and meditation. I came to MA believing in a higher power, but insanely thinking I had to do everything on my own, that I wasn't allowed to ask for help. I believed my higher power or HP was the universe or love, but I had placed myself outside that circle, which is also insane because I am definitely part of the universe. I am made of earth stuff and star stuff, and I belong here. Meditation and prayer and keeping my side of the street clean with continued amends as needed and doing the next indicated thing has helped to ease the anxiety that I had once turned to pot to alleviate. I've also sought help through medicine and found antidepressants that help my depression and anxiety. The biggest reward, the biggest boost to my recovery has been step 12, doing service and sponsoring others. It makes me accountable. It acts as a mirror. Almost everything I advise for my sponsees is a suggestion I need to follow as well. Um, one of them will call me with a problem, and I'll be talking to her and, and you know, give the sage advice or whatever, you know, just tell her what I thought about it. And, um, and I'd realize as I was talking that it, it applied to what I was dealing with in my life on that day as well even though it was a different circumstances. Um, on occasion, I felt HP speak through me, or at least something bigger than me speak through me. I don't know where the answers were coming from, but they were coming from, I guess they're coming from the program, from my sponsors and the sponsors they had and the sponsors they had and back and back. Um, it's kept me clean and sober like nothing else. I didn't get to graduate when I finished the steps and stopped going to meetings and stopped to work. I keep on, and it keeps me right-sized, not too big for my head, 
I'm not such a low self-esteem that I feel like a bug. In recovery, I've gone back to work, been through a few jobs, and finally found a job that I like, that works for me, and that I've held for seven years now. I've had a few short stories published, gone to a really rewarding writer's workshop. I've met and befriended authors in my field and written a lot. I've laughed harder and had more fun clean than I ever had giggling on marijuana. Um, I call stoned laughing pirate laughing. And um, um, if you go to go to a bar and, and you don't drink, you can hear the pirate laughter <laughs> of people um, at a bar or a party. And um, and I don't have that laughter anymore. It's it's real genuine. Um, happy laughter. Um, I have dear friends I can rely on, not just party buddies. I've been to a few MA conventions, which were a huge boost to my recovery. I highly recommend um, spending the bucks and going to an MA convention if if you can, um, or a 12-step workshop or a 12-step um, weekend or camp out or anything like that. It really boosts recovery. Um, camp outs are great, sitting around the fireplace sharing um, stories about recovery. Are, um, really, you know, get back to nature, really nice. Um, I love MA and I've had many wonderful relationships in MA. Tomorrow I'm going to a Zoom-based celebration of life for a fellow MA member that we lost. In recovery, I've left my husband and gotten back with him again. I've had two sponsors and several sponsees. I've walked through the steps quite a few times and walked several others through the steps. Um, I've buried in grief for both my parents. Um, my mother's death um, happened just about a year ago, and and that was you know very difficult. It's your mom, right? But I got to be there for her and um, be present for my family and help out with the funeral and um, and not run away and not go off and get stoned and you know be half there. Um, I got to be there for the whole thing and feel it and deal with it and um, share it with my loved ones. Um, I wouldn't have that any other way. Uh, I've lost a house and I've moved a few times. I've gone through bankruptcy and come out the other side. I no longer want to escape my fears, but I face them. I ask for courage to face them. Um, I get up and I get out before noon. <laughs> I see people and I do things. I've had a couple surgeries. I'm just now healing from a bad case of anemia that had me short of breath and weak with the slightest exertion. Um, by not jerking from that, afraid that I was dying or something and prodding my doctors um, and 
if I was stoned, I would not be, have prodded my doctors. I would not have been a sort of, I would have just stayed home and not called and just mumbled complaints about how my doctors weren't taking care of me. Um, but I took care of myself and made sure that we got tested until we figured out what the problem and solution was. Um, and if I hadn't done that, I may well have died from this because I have the type of anemia where my red blood cells were um, broken. Um, my HP or higher power has my back. I trust in my HP. I take it one day at a time. I try to turn my life and my problems over to higher power and leave the outcomes up to God. I try not to have expectations because expectations for me lead to resentment. And um, the promises that you might hear about in another fellowship, they are promises, not maybes. And they have come true for me. Um, I'm going to read the promises if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. This is, was a big one for me. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. That's another big one. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Thank you for listening, and I'll take another 24. I hope that was long enough. Thank you. <laughs>